Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with James Takanaka, Director of Sales for Hip Point Sales, a division of Funnigan Logistics, a wholesale distribution company that focuses on selling games to a network of distributors and retailers from around the world. James, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. It is great to have you. Um, I'm sorry if I butchered your name. <laughs> Say your name one nope, more time for the for the group in case uh, I got it wrong. I know there's some intonation there that's not uh, not quite perfect, but um, it is sure, great no, to have you. It was really good. It's James Takenaka. You you said it fine. <laughs> oh, perfect. Awesome. Got it. Woohoo! Win of the yeah. day. So, uh, James, uh, hit point sales. I got introduced to this company actually through, um, our Theris, uh, games. We, uh, interviewed Andrew, um, Burkett, uh, about uh, three months ago, I guess. And he, uh, actually spoke quite positively about hit point sales. I thought, gosh, I got to get these guys on the, on the podcast and explain to us, what is this all about? So mm-hmm. let's start off talking about kind of your background and what led you to hit point in the first place. Cause I know you've been in the industry for a while, right? Yeah. So probably the earliest I could say starting in the hobby market industry is I started selling, you know, comic books and baseball cards at trade shows. And then that led me to open a store with my friend and uh, we started selling comics and baseball cards. And then magic, the gathering ice age is when we started selling, I guess, gaming kind of, kind of <laughs> materials. We were selling pogs and things like that, but I distinctly remember Magic the Gathering Ice Age. And so I was doing that, but my day job was as an auditor. And I was actually on the team for Bandai America, which is the Power Ranger toy company Okay. Uh, back then. And so um, I learned about licensing, learned about toys. And then um, I just wasn't happy and started doing, uh, I left and went to, um, a company that did photo sticker machines. I don't know if you're familiar yeah, yeah, with that. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah, but, okay, um, yeah. And so it was called Print Club, and that's where I really got involved in the licensing industry. And then after that ended, just kind of dumb luck, I tied in with this old coworker, and uh, he was doing licensed trading cards. That led me then to actually consulting for Bandai America somehow in their gaming division. Yeah. And after being a consultant for a while, they hired me on as the... Uh, U.S. marketing director and sales uh, for their games division. And we were selling the Naruto collectible card game was the big product. And then that led into like Resident Evil deck building games, Star Trek deck building games. And then actually, you know, they kind of closed down the division. So I got laid off. And um, Dan Yarrington, who was the owner of GameSleuth, I was selling to his game stores. And when he heard I was being laid off, he asked me, you know, are you interested in joining GameSleuth? And I went over there, started essentially what was hit point sales mm. uh, for Game Salute. Um, and then about three years into it, we kind of changed direction a little bit um, and opened hit point sales officially. And so that is about nine, what, six years ago. So I've been doing wholesale sales distribution for board games for about nine years now. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So long story short, that's kind of how I just kind of dumb lucked up into the gaming industry. And then fun again purchased, I guess. Did they they purchase Hit Point or yeah. how did that come about? So, so in August of 2019, 
um, Fun Again acquired Hit Point Sales and Ship Naked. Okay. And we merged into their Fun Again logistics company. And so I, I'm pretty much doing the exact same thing. Even my warehouse is the same, um, but just I'm under the Fun Again logistics ba banner now, but still Hit Point Sales. So, And so you mentioned. act as like a division then, I guess, where you yeah. focus specifically on um, kind of the sales side more than, uh, I guess, Fun Again takes care of more logistics and the two of those things kind of paired up. Right. Yeah. Cause Perfect I'm kind marriage. of like a client of fun again, logistics, they do all my shipping for me. So, um, yeah. So it, each division is kind of a little bit separate, but all under the same umbrella banner. And so how does it work? So what, what is hit point sales? Okay. So hit point sales is a consolidator. So hope, I'm not sure if everyone has heard of that, but basically we're kind of a middleman between a publisher and distributors and retailers. Um, because, What's happening is there's just too many publishers for the distributors to handle all of them. Yeah. And so what happens is a lot of publishers can't get accounts with the distributors because they're just kind of overwhelmed over there. Um, and so what I'm able to do is I have an account with the distributors. I, I worked many years to get that, <laughs> get those accounts, but I can represent, you know, 50 different publishers all under one vendor account of hit point sales. And so those distributors can order from me and have access to all these different games because even the distributor might be like, ah, I can only use like a case. Yeah. You know? <laughs> can you ship me a case or even one unit, two units? And so I can do that for them versus like if you were to work as a publisher directly with that distributor, you kind of need them to order cases, you know, yeah. for it to work financially, the shipping costs. Um, so what I'm able to do is just kind of be that bridge to kind of help people along um and the the dirty little secret or the sad thing is that a lot of your clients if you make them successful in this model they get so big that maybe they can hire their own salesperson yeah and so they kind of kind of graduate or leave you at, mm -hmm. at a certain point um but it's like good and bad because you obviously helped build their company and had good sales under your own banner but they became so big that it's like okay it's time for them to kind of take it under their own you know and you, you sell to retailers direct as well, or just through distributors or how does that work? So we initially just were selling mainly to distributors, but what's happened okay. is there's too many games. And, and so retail distributors can't carry everything. So we do start Oak Taylor direct accounts because they go, Hey, my distributor doesn't carry this game, but I want it. Can I, can I order it directly from you? So it's been growing a little bit, but I'd still say like, you know, 90% of my sales are to direct to distributors, not, not retailers. You've represented quite a number of companies, right? Like I just have your page open here for the people who are watching live. And I mean, there's yeah. some uh, some big names on this list. So are these current or are these people current and past or? So it should be current, but some of them maybe haven't released a game in a long time or they released the one game. Sure. Um, yes. Uh, Tabletop Tycoon, which was formerly GameSleut. You know, they have, they created Starling Games, Polyhero Dice Victory Point Games. So that's my biggest client. Uh, but we've been adding things like uh, Luda Creations, which is a really good one. Um, Surf and Meeple, which is an umbrella of um, like colossal games. Um, there's a bunch of games that will be released under our our banner as well. So um, yeah, it's been exciting. It's 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 grown every year since we started it. Um, and yeah, the clients get better. The products are getting better. The clients are getting better. It, it was a long trek, but you know, I'm pretty proud of where we, we're at right now. 
I can say from personal experience, uh, I encountered this uh, after we launched our first game. Um, you know, a lot of publishers, especially small publishers, will go and hit your local market, right? Hit all the local game stores, call them personally, and uh, and say, "Hey, you know, I'm, I'm we support local. Here's you know, here's a game that we we launched on Kickstarter." And there was a couple of large stores I went to where I had trouble getting past that kind of front door person, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I would say, you know, I've got, you know, we've got this game. Here's what the game is about. And they'd say, well, you know, who are you going through? Which distributor? I said, well, I'm distributing it. I'm going to, I'll bring it, you know, we're going to deliver it straight to you. And, uh, you know, don't even worry about the minimums, you know, whatever quantity you want, I will drive it here and I'll drop it off. I just want to get this game supported in the, in the local community. And I had a number of them still say, nah, you know what? I just, I got my sheet I open up at the beginning of the week and I've got two or three distributors that I, you know, will go through their list and kind of tick off the boxes what I want. And then I'm done. I don't have to worry about a separate sheet and I'd be afraid I would, you know, forget uh, about your game. And I'd say, well, you know, we'll have one of our representatives come in here on a weekly basis. <laughs> right. And I'm not taking the hint <laughs> and they're yeah, saying, yeah. no, we don't want to have a bunch of people come in here. We want to have three people. We want to see three lists where we check our little boxes and we're done and we can get on to, you know, serving customers and, and, and managing our stock. So there's definitely value in being able to get your game in with these distributors. But I think, you know, in the case of uh, even some of the distributors uh, may not want to carry some of these smaller games. They may not want to bring in, as you said, a full case of product. They may only want to start, you know, you know by dipping their toe in the water and, you know, maybe taking a handful of games. So this is certainly, I think, a service that um, helps a lot of a lot of publishers, I guess, eh? Yeah. Um, you know, originally, again, I didn't really know the, the kind of structure of wholesale distribution. You know, I knew how it was working at Bandai America, but once we started getting into board games and being working with really small publishers, you know, guys who are just doing it part-time, have a couple yep. hundred games, you, you started finding where it was kind of difficult uh, because it costs time and money just to get your product listed. And so that's kind of why even a game store, I've got all these great games that are coming every week from the bigger publishers. Yeah. So like, do I really need your game? You know, like that's, that's, that's kind of a hard part of you get a lot of no's. Cause even when I was starting, I thought I had great games, uh, alien frontiers. I thought, you know, I could get accounts. I couldn't get accounts with some of the distributors. Yeah. And so I was like, so you, so I think a, a little bit of advice for these for small publishers, it's kind of a long trek. You oh, just yeah. have to keep trying and adding that one brand new retailer, another retailer, another retailer, another distributor. You know, you just kind of slowly make that climb because a lot of times your company is really not about the game you have right now. It might be the second or third game that's coming out. Mm. Um, very rarely have I worked with a publisher where the first game is just the hit. You know, it's yeah. usually the third or fourth game. And then it's like, oh, we're finally, we're finally making money now. You know, <laughs> in the beginning, yeah. we're just trickling through and then, oh, it hit, you know, you, you got that success. So um, it, it's, you just keep working at it. Um, a lot of no's happen, but yeah, that's where it's like, you can't get depressed um, about that. You have to be, oh, the yes, I got the yes, you know, that one time. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, for people listening and maybe have a game of their own coming and, you know, it's tough to kind of separate yourself from the fact that this is your baby, right? So you've created this game. You may think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, but for a distributor that has to sell to a retailer, they need something that's going to move relatively fast, right? Yeah. 
And unfortunately, um, if there's no demand for that product, now they have to expend time, right? They've got to put time into trying to promote your game and try to, to sell your game, which they don't want to do because guess what? There's another 10 games that do have demand already uh, coming with them that they can put the resources into. So, you know, it, it's, it's tough not to take these things personally, but it's important not to take these things personally. Uh, often it is just, unfortunately, kind of like the old cliche is business, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's just tough when I don't know the exact numbers anymore, but we always talk about like there's 4,000, 5,000 brand new games each year or something. And, you mm -hmm. know, the distributor might be approached with like a couple of hundred brand new SKUs each yeah. week. Oh, yeah. So like, okay, yours, yours comes out this week. Okay. And I, I kind of told you where it's going to be like two to three months. If you don't have some kind of momentum, you're gone. Like you're, you're already 12, you might be 1200 SKUs <laughs> since then, uh, since your game could release have come yeah. out. So it, it is difficult for a distributor because even in myself as well, we're working under such small margins yeah. that we don't really have the ability to market to the consumer. So that's why it's really up to the publisher to still be in charge of that. Mm -hmm. We're at, we're making the network of your product being available if consumers want this. And so like a, somebody walks in a store, oh, I don't know that game. Let me look. Oh, my distributor has it. You know, that's, we can get you that product, but bringing that consumer in the distributor is not really doing that. I'm not really doing that. It, it really is up to you because the retailer might not be, you know, they need to be told by consumers. Oh, what is this game that everyone keeps asking you yeah. about? You know, and, and then that's when you might get exposure. And so that's why you get that three month period. If nothing happens. And so it's tough. And that's why I always say it's, it's kind of babies. You just keep trudging along because whatever you sold and didn't sell your next Kickstarter, your expansion for it promotes it again, go to conventions. Hey, this expansion for this game you sold is available. Do you need to restock on the base game? So you're just trying to keep that lifespan as long as you can. And, and that's why I think Kickstarter is great because you get the chance to keep trying to get in front of people's uh, you know, eyes. Oh, wait, I carried that base game. I sold like two units. It did. Oh, let me find out, you know, Hey, did yeah. you know this expansion for this game? You know, so that's, you're just trying anything because you need free publicity somehow. And that's why your podcast, you know, game reviews on websites, anything to kind of just get some, a little bit of buzz. Yeah. Um, that's what I always recommend because it's, it's cheaper than trying to buy banner ads on places that, you know, I don't know if they work or not. So on that note, if there's any publishers out there looking to uh, come on our podcast, shoot me a note <laughs> to the boardgame.com <laughs> yeah. website. Love to talk to you. Let's talk about your game. So um, let's walk, let's go through the the actual model, how this works. So how did can you walk us through kind of uh, the numbers of how it breaks down? Because I know that a lot of uh, people that have talked to me about finding either a distributor for their game or like yourself a consolidator the they need kind of the rough numbers right so they can kind of work in their head of what that kind of looks like can you mm -hmm. so take a game that costs to keep mm -hmm. the numbers simple say the, the game would retail at a hundred dollars right mm -hmm. how does it break down in terms of what they would sell to you at and then you would sell it to like a like a, a distributor at and, and how that whole model works for them yeah so um so a hundred dollar game you're you're gonna want to be selling that to a retailer at fifty dollars um okay you know, 
you can kind of play with those margins a little bit, but like a retailer wants to get 50% off. Yeah. Um, so if they're doing it at 50, you're going to be expected to sell to the distributor at $40. Okay. Yeah. And then if you work with a consolidator like me, you know, you're going to get paid maybe between like 33, $32, you know, it, it could vary yeah. a little bit. Um, you know, all the consolidators will have their different models, but that's what you have to be kind of ready for in the wholesale market. And that's where it comes into sticker shock a little bit for some, yep. you know, brand new people that I go, if you can't really meet those kind of pricing, you know, it's okay not to be ready for wholesale yet. You yep. know, it's okay for you to kind of use your Amazon website, Kickstarter, mm -hmm. that, that's your market. And then if you're getting some success, maybe that second print run is the one. Cause I don't really believe in selling and not making a profit because yeah. what happens if we sell all the units, do you have any money left to reprint it? You know, because mm -hmm. like I said, it's not about the game really right now. Mm -hmm. It's about, you know, second, third, you know, print runs, you know, you got to keep building the momentum for your company. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how the money works. Um, timing wise, um, you want to give distributors and myself like three to four months of lead time before you want to see it in a, in a store. Yeah. Um, it, if we don't get that kind of lead time, you, you give your product less of a chance to succeed mm -hmm. because you might miss the printed catalog. Um, you know, it doesn't get in there. So you're only being promoted by emails, uh, website, things like that. Um, you know, so you want to always just kind of give your product the best chance to succeed. And my recommendation is you start sending your information out after your successful Kickstarter. Um, we don't want it before because we don't want to solicit products that might exist. We, yeah. we want to know that exists. We don't want to go to work for stuff that we're not sure if it's going to exist. But after your successful Kickstarter, if we can get pre-orders before you have to print, uh, press print with your printer, maybe we could give you information you didn't know. It's like, hey, there's actually a lot of wholesale demand for my game. So would you recommend in that case um, <coughs> holding off like... So your Kickstarter campaign closes, right? So you get funded and you're, everybody's high-fiving. You know, some people will go to production pretty much immediately um, after their campaign closes. Are you saying that some cases it might make sense to kind of hold off a few months, do some more well, kind of pre-solicitation before you kind of lock down that final order? I mean, I, I still think it's probably best to like provide your cut your Kickstarter customers with the, uh, the best timeline that you can. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times when you go, well, I'm not really going to print right now. I have to get proofs done and things like that. And mm -hmm. so during that time period, it's possible that we could have a solicitation period of trying to get pre-orders. I don't really, um, I recommend, you know, soliciting after your Kickstarter ends because you don't want like online stores to be like, oh, hey, yeah. I might discount this game and it starts competing with your Kickstarter that's still running. Um, yeah, maybe what you do is you send out a note of <coughs> your base game before stretch targets and so forth, right? Because when you do your production, you can always produce extra Yes, you don't want to take your deluxe version, shoot it into retailers before people uh, potentially yeah. even get their own games. You are going to make a lot of Kickstarter backers angry yeah. and uh, probably lose quite a few for uh, for future um, approaches. But it is an interesting thought that if, you know, if you're doing, say your minimums um, are anywhere from 500 to 1,000 games and you've got, say, 600 backers, um, you know, maybe there's a base version of your game without the stretch targets that you can bump your order by another 200 units, right? If you give yourself another couple of yeah, months. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you'd mentioned earlier about 
um, you know, calendars or, or catalog times being printed. Is there specific times in the industry you tend to see people print their catalogs? Like, is there certain areas that people should plan for, or is it all over the map? No, they're print. Uh, the two that I know that still do printed catalogs, they're mm. printing it every month. Every month. So, okay. yeah. So there's just a deadline. So like, um, and I'm forgetting the exact timelines, but mm. they'll say like, you know, so by December 10th, you need to submit your products for products releasing in February. And so if you miss that and you want to release in February, you've missed the printed catalog. Um, you know, so it might just be emails. And I, I've heard some distributors just said, don't even give me your solicitation if you don't give me like you know full time period. Sure. I don't want to be getting your information one month before it releases because yeah. that's not enough time for them to put it through their system, you know. But and there's exceptions to any rule. I always say, well, if you have Gloomhaven, you can get any distributor account you want. You yeah. can release it whenever you want. <laughs> so it's like wingspan, right? Nobody's saying yeah. no to take a wingspan. So yeah, when exactly. They so so there's exceptions, but you, you know, you want to work within the system because that system's been there forever. And just you know, don't go yeah. against it. Just go with it and see you know because you want to give your product the best chance to succeed. And so if the buyers, the sales reps are all getting time to do what they normally do, yeah, best chance to succeed. So how how does the actual shipping part work for your company? So do um, it's a bit of a loaded question, but do the publishers ship it to the locations for you, or are you basically taking them into one of your like into fun again into your warehouse? Like, yeah. walk us through that part of, of your business model. Yeah, so that's kind of where consolidator that term really works out mm-hmm. because we're shipping all the product to one warehouse or two yeah. warehouses that yep. we have, and so when orders are coming in, I'm trying my best to ship pallets of products to the distributors. The the more money I save on shipping, the more profit I can make um, because I pay for that shipping right. cost from the warehouse to the distributor. You're paying the cost from wherever your product is to our warehouse. Um, and like I said, you could get distributors that are ordering one, two copies to particular warehouses. You'll you'll just lose all your money if, you're, if that's all you're shipping is yeah. two units to somewhere. And so, um, yeah, so you have to ship all your product and then I'm hopefully, you know, they place an order and they order 10 different games yeah. and I can pile up onto a pallet and ship it out. Um, so if you don't ship all the games that, uh, or you don't sell all the games that somebody ships to you, then do they store them with you? Like, is there like a monthly fee or how does that work? Yeah, so um, fun again, logistics at least. Uh, we yeah. charge like, so you ship product and there's like a $5 receiving fee per pallet. Yep. Um, and then we charge $20 per month per pallet. So however many games you could fit on that pallet, it's $20. Um, and so working with me, there is kind of this ongoing cost. That, that's not really how I make my money if the sure. product just sits there. I make money by shipping it. So you want to have enough product though where a, it sells and then mm-hmm. I get reorders. You want to have enough product there where I could fulfill the reorders potentially right away. If yeah. I have to wait for you to ship more products miss the opportunity yeah that time lag kind of hurts the store because their customer might have come in said i want it and then three weeks later you deliver it you know you you kind of lose that excitement uh, potentially Um, well i think for people listening to um there's only one place i know that stores your games for free and that's your house in your garage (laughs) right so you're paying someone to store your games if you have excess inventory 
you're storing them somewhere uh, in, in the industry rates, they're fairly similar pretty much everywhere you go. So, you know, having them stored somewhere, but also that same person be able to take those games and sell them ongoing for you. So you don't have to worry about it. Seems like a pretty cool advantage as well. Now you service the world or just like you're based in the States, right? Is where your warehouses are right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I can service the world and I pretty much only work in English language versions of the game. So wherever you think English language versions of the games will ship, um, I'm selling to. And so almost all the international distributors have, well, I wouldn't say all of them have a freight forwarder in the U.S. And Mm -hmm. so I'm shipping it to wherever their freight forwarder is in the U.S. And then they're taking containers and shipping it internationally or you know however they're doing it they they they'll have their good rates to get the product over there and so you can get your product all over the world through fun again and we've tried things before where you know you have a warehouse in europe and you ship directly to in the long run it doesn't work the product gets stranded over there a lot of times you know we would love it if the product sold worldwide equally but usually it doesn't and so it's like, oh, I've got all these orders in the U.S., but they're all stuck in Europe and no one wants it in Europe for whatever reason. You know? <laughs> and so, so yeah, you know, I think it's easy. Um, you know, your games cost maybe a little bit more in those foreign countries, but I, I think that that must be an accepted thing because everyone's doing it that way. Um, very rarely, you know, the big guys will have products going directly to Europe or something, but yeah. in general, most of us are smaller. And, and that's the one thing about hit point sales is I work with smaller publishers. That's kind mm-hmm. of my niche. Um, there's PSI and Flat River Group. They're going to work with bigger publishers in general. Um, and and I'm focusing more on hobby market. And I kind of like that. I work with small guys, but it, it is kind of uh, you, you try to teach them things that have happened. Uh, yeah. I think I was telling you before I'm old enough where I've seen a lot of stuff <laughs> and I have stories of what other companies have done. So it's not even my knowledge. I could just tell you, oh, this company did this and this is how it kind of ended up. So on that note, what's one piece of advice you would have for a new uh, publisher, someone who's just uh, finishing their Kickstarter campaign? What's something that you would suggest people kind of be mindful of or keep their eyes out uh, for when they're getting ready to do their campaign or when they're just finishing their campaign off? Okay. Um, yeah. So I think we talked about where it's, it's, it's a long haul. Like if you're really going to be a publisher, yeah, you're expected to have games coming out all the time. You know, like you're going to have a, a, a you're going to build a catalog of games. Yeah. So in the beginning, when you're first starting out, just be aware that, you know, you don't necessarily have to do wholesale, but if you do be aware, like this is how it would work mm-hmm. and, and build it into your model. If you'd like to, you know, to, because I kind of believe you fill all channels of, of demand. So Kickstarter is going to have some demand online. will have some demand wholesale, mm-hmm. you know, so you're trying to allocate your units out to see if you can keep building your audience because stores will tell me all the time, my customers don't buy on Kickstarter. You got it. You know, you got to get your product over here at this kind of pricing level, or else you'll never reach those customers. That might be true. You you know, you don't know. Maybe they buy it on Amazon or you know instead. Yeah. But if that's true, let me see if I can hit those customers as well. Um, yeah. You know, because you want to just keep increasing the size of your audience, which will then in turn help your next Kickstarter, help your next retail release. You know, like oh, I I sold that game. Same publisher you know, they did a good job. Let me try this next one from them. You know, you just want to keep improving and improving. Yeah. That's the one thing. Nothing's perfect. 
we go out there and we just try to improve. Hit point sales is not perfect at all. <laughs> I, I'm constantly just improving each year. Yeah. Um, and, and like I told you, one of the Alliance distribution, it took me like three years to get that account. I finally got it though. Yeah. You know, and so you just keep going at it. I kept going to their booth asking, talk to a buyer. They said, oh, he's busy, busy, you know. And one day I finally got it. And then after that, I got Everdell. Yeah. Everyone wants Everdell. So all oh, of a sudden, yeah. all these av avenues open up for me. But if you don't have Everdell, just keep pulling, you know, going along. And so that's my advice is that you can't believe it's just about this one game that you have. Uh, if you're going to be a publisher, uh, if it's just about the one game, then you should probably switch and become a designer. Um, is there uh, any expansion plans at all for hit point sales or what's like, what are you guys working on now? Is there another evolution of your company or? Yeah. Um, probably right now, the biggest thing is we're starting to get more European publishing clients, mm. um, Luda Creations and the Surf and Meeple um, deals um, and some other ones actually. Um, they're starting to kind of come in and, and those are kind of coming from the fun again, uh, logistics uh, side of the relationships because they're doing Kickstarter, you know, fulfillment for a lot yeah. of these clients, or they've been buying from uh, SM and doing the SM uh, mule service over to like BGG con. Um, so because of those relationships, we're starting to add some of these pretty good clients in my opinion. So yeah. um, I'm excited about that. Um, and yeah, it, like I said, I'm just trying to keep adding better when I first started, our product line was not good. It was really <laughs> tough to get any sales. And, uh, you know, it just kept growing every year. Products get better. The, the publishers get better. That's the thing, right? Your first yeah. game, you learn all this stuff. And then your second oh, yeah. game, you, you start improving a lot. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, it's very rewarding to see your company maybe graduate. Sad to leave, but you've graduated because you've become so large that you really have a big very solid business. Yeah. Knowledge is definitely cumulative. Um, so how do people reach out to you? So if this is something that someone's looking for, they're looking for a consolidator or someone to help them kind of take a lot of this off their shoulders so they can just focus on uh, getting onto their next uh, title. How best do they reach out to you? Okay. So um, probably the, the one I noticed the most will be email. So okay. James at hitpointsales.com. Oh, that's easy. James at hitpointsales.com. Yeah. You can go to our website, hitpointsales.com, and there's Hitpoint some like contact us uh, kind of pages that you could fill out. And then um, I'm just a little bit on Facebook. I, I really use that more for personal use, but yep. I have all the business friends or whatever, uh, industry it's, friends. It's on quite there. the ecosystem, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm kind of old, so I'm still kind of email. Uh, <laughs> it's probably the easiest way to get so in touch with me. James at hitpointsales.com. Yep. James, it has been awesome having you on this podcast. Uh, this is definitely an angle that uh, I've found very interesting and uh, for quite some time and uh, was excited to get you on here to talk to us about it. I'm sure there's a lot of people that have uh, a much better idea of how the consolidation uh, part of the business works. So I want to thank you so much for your time and wish you sure. all the best to you and your family this holiday season. No, thank you very much. And thanks for doing these kind of podcasts. I really enjoy like the industry side. Yeah, of, no worries. Uh, the business. So, all right. <laughs> Take care. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks. See you. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge and you'll get access to live interviews, 
giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.